0: Good evening, evening, yeah, a couple of things, one, a couple of people were asking me today about whether I was talking about venison today or deer meat as an expensive meat, all right, so there was a little bit of confusion this morning when I was talking about deer meat, I was not talking about the things with horns, all right, (laughs) Did did lots of people fall to that, remember what I told you, it's our language, just catch, you know, catch what I'm saying, but no, it, it needed to be pointed out, I think. Um, another thing I should say, just sort of by way of introduction, my reason, my connection to this part of the world really is through a ministry of, uh, called Firefighters for Christ that I've been involved in for over 25 years now. I was 27 years in the Northern Ireland Fire and Rescue Service. I retired two years ago, and this is what I do now. I travel and preach and teach, but I'm still involved in the ministry of Firefighters for Christ, and you're really honored tonight because the president is here tonight, Oh no, he actually is <laughs> the president of Firefighters for Christ. He's on the back row. Um, so he drove me about this week. Like, that's how important I am. You know what I mean? Uh, you know. So the president took me to in and out. I mean, that's like special, isn't it? Uh, so come on, guys, waking up. Come with me. All right. It's hard enough standing up here. Come on. Are you all comatose with the amount of food that you've been eating? Yes, everybody's just about. We're going unconscious now. Not allowed to go unconscious, all right? Stick with me. Um, It's good to see, I think, that nearly everybody has turned back up again tonight. That's always a good sign for a preacher whenever most of the congregation turns back up again for a second session after the first session. And and hopefully the guys, the eight or ten guys that come into the kingdom of God this morning are here tonight as well. That's fantastic too. And so also, if you didn't get the opportunity or chose not to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, you can do that again tonight. We'll give you the opportunity for that later on as well, because we do not want you can down this mountain not getting right with Jesus Christ, because that is what this is all about. This, it doesn't matter if I've flown 6,000 miles, these guys have traveled, everybody goes through all the hard work, you eat enough calories to do you six months. What it's all about is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, what it, that's it, and in its entirety, all right? So, there's nothing else that really matters other than the Word of God. So, like this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. I'm going to read them again, just by way of introduction. I remind you of the book that I mentioned this morning, R.T. Kendall's book, uh, When God Says Well Done. Excellent book. If you want to get it, it'll be available, I'm sure, on Amazon. Um, and so, I just want to read these 10 verses again. Uh, we covered the first two this morning. We'll obviously cover the second two. Now tonight, and then the last two tomorrow morning. And so these verses said, uh, sorry, say, uh, by the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's what we covered this morning. So tonight we're looking at if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Well, you'll know that we've introduced the text clearly this morning, but just by a very, very, very quick reminder, Paul here is talking to a baby church, e.g., not a church that has just started, but a church that has not moved on from baby food. And he actually says to them, you're a worldly church. Now, you might ask the question here tonight. I don't expect a response, but do you think it's possible for Christians to be carnal? I'll answer it. Yes, it is possible for Christians to be carnal. Otherwise, the New Testament didn't need to be written, okay? So, as far as I said, simple enough for me, it's because these guys back then, whenever the, the, the Bible was written for the first century Christians... Absolutely, it meant something to them, but we absolutely need to take something from that today. So that's my job as a Bible teacher. When I travel, I love to get into text like this. Is it what's I love teaching this way? It's just to split up verses a little bit at a time, and hopefully we can all learn from that. And I also want to caveat what I say with I'm talking this direction first. This year, I don't know what it is. I've been teaching for many, many years. Um but this year, for some reason, I absolutely feel the responsibility of what it is that I do. And I'm not trying to gain a sympathy from me from that. I'm just telling you that's how I feel about it. I feel such a responsibility by telling people how to live their lives whenever I struggle every day with living mine, okay? So I like to just start with that message and say like everything, I get the opportunity to learn this before I teach it to you, but to learn it on a personal level, okay? Is that fair enough? And so whenever we get into these tonight, then absolutely, as always, even as I was preparing this this afternoon, God's always challenging me about it. He really is. And so let's hope we can all be challenged here tonight. I don't want anybody to leave this house tonight without being challenged, because what's the point in spending, whatever it is you've spent to be up here, what's the point in me traveling 6,000 miles if we're not going to be challenged by the Word of God? So let's Let's dive straight in. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Simple, simple enough. But you remember what we talked about this morning. So the foundation, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And someone else has built that for you. You may be involved in building that for someone else. But now what we're looking at tonight is the superstructure. And we talked about that this morning is that now that we are saved, we are responsible for building the superstructure that is our lives, and Paul talks about it in these terms. He uses these metaphors of gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, as building products to build a superstructure. And so that's what this first verse is about, is these six different building products that he talks about, and then he goes on to talk about how those are gonna be tested whenever we come to that day, capital day in your Bibles, and we'll explain that when we get to it. And so Paul introduces this idea, as I've said, for us as believers, being responsible for the building products that we use to build our lives with and being rewarded for it, or, as verse 15 says, suffer some kind of loss as a result of it. Now, hazard a guess, and again, I'm not sort of trying to make myself sound important here, but I can only tell you what my experience is from the part of the world that I come from is that I never really heard teaching on rewards. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands as to whether you've heard teaching on rewards or not, but certainly for me, it was something that either somebody stared clear of it, I don't know, or somebody just didn't think of teaching it or maybe, I don't know, in the culture, particularly we're very conservative people back where I come from, and people don't like to talk about this kind of thing. So I don't know why, but all I know is whenever I started exploring these verses and reading books to do with these verses, I thought, oh my goodness, it's actually must be important. And so whenever we think about being rewarded for our work in Christ... There's this mental thought as to why should we think like that, but guess what? If Paul talks about it in a number of places, other writers talk about it in a number of places, and Jesus himself mentioned rewards at least six times in the Sermon on the Mount, then would we not actually believe that it's important? Yeah? And so that's what we're talking about. And so Paul is saying, what are you building your life with? Are you building your life with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw? That's a simple question that he is asking. And therefore, I am going to ask the question of each of us in this room tonight, which one of those six metaphors are you using to build your life with? And this is true for every believer. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll get on to that in a little second. First Corinthians three and eight, same chapter. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Verse 14, we'll be dealing with this tomorrow morning, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And so, where will this reward occur or rewarding occur? Now, you may know this, you may not, but let me bring you to what my belief in terms of eschatology is. I believe there's going to be two places in eternity on that day. I believe there's going to be the great white throne, and if you're standing before the great white throne, you've got a problem, okay? That's first and foremost, because that's where I believe the people who are not going to heaven will be standing in front of the great white throne. But there is also what is known as the Bemis seat of Jesus Christ, or the judgment seat of Christ, where you and I as believers will stand before that judgment seat. Is that shock to people in the room tonight? Some people, it may be a shock to you. Some people may absolutely know that. Let me read a verse. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, if you're taking notes. For we must all appear, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the Bema seat, so that each of us may receive, now listen to this, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body for the church. What does it say then? Whether good or bad. Okay, so it's absolutely clear to me that each and every one of us at some point we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers, and we're going to give an account of what it was that we have said that we have done for Jesus, what we have done whilst alive in this world, what have we done with the kingdom of heaven, which is heaven on earth, deposited in our lives. What have we done with that? We will be responsible for giving an account of that, and we will receive what is due us, whether that be a reward or loss. Why? Because it says that whilst we're in the body, we're going to be receiving this because of what we've done, whether good or bad. So that verse alone, whether you agree or disagree with me, suggests that as a Christian, I can be bad. Is that a shock to you? It shouldn't be a shock to you. But sometimes, theologically, we have this sort of rose garden going on in our brain, and we don't actually realize what it is that the Bible is saying. And so, when we look at the superstructure that Paul is talking about, then why does Paul first of all use the metaphors of gold, silver, and costly stones? Because we know that gold, silver, and costly stones will survive the test of fire. Okay, and we know that the next verse talks about that. I was a firefighter for many years, and I know that gold will survive a fire. Would everybody... In fact, gold is improved by fire. Would you agree with that? Silver as well. Costly stones. They don't get destroyed by fire. These are clear metaphors that Paul is using, and that's why we know that these things are costly. We know that these things are really, really important. We know that they will bring virtue. We know that they will bring excellence. We know that they should be obvious. We know that these things should be seen. And we know that these things are valuable to God. And so that's exactly how we should be building our lives. What else does Paul say about these in one of his other writings whenever he's talking to the young Pastor Timothy? And the young Pastor Timothy was the pastor of the Church of Ephesus. Ephesus had all sorts of issues in the church. We don't have time to get into that tonight. But here's what Paul said to the young Pastor Timothy the second time he wrote to him. 2 Timothy 2, 20-21, if you're taking notes or for the purpose of the recording, And here's what Paul said. you ready for this? In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, e.g. the wood and clay, will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be set aside for special purpose. Because I was thinking about this today whenever I was going over this, and I suppose, and I suppose this is for later on in the notes, but it's come to my mind now. I'm going to say it now, is that sometimes people might think, well, sure what? If I'm getting to heaven, it doesn't really matter. You know, that'll be reward enough for me if I actually get through the pearly gates. Yeah? But why would Paul write this to us? Why would Paul ref- reference it in so many different of his writings? Why would Jesus talk about it if there actually wasn't something really relevant about it? And so if we sit in our church tonight and think, I don't really care what that big fella's saying, because as long as I'm saved, the reward will be enough for me just to get there. No, guys, please no. Don't waste your time. yes, You may well be still in heaven, because verse 15 tells us that, but don't waste your time. Get serious. Want to be set aside for special purposes. You want to be made holy. You want to be useful to the master. You want to be prepared to do any good work. We want to get up in the morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Or or, or do we get up in the morning and think, how will I earn some more money today? And I'm not saying that we don't go out to work. Of course we do. We have to do those things. But I'm saying what motivates me when I get out of bed in the morning should be the Word of God, regardless of any of the other things that I have to do today, Yeah? yeah? And so how then do you know if your superstructure is made from gold, silver, or costly stones? There's no point in me standing here pontificating about some of these things if I'm not going to give you a practical message because that's pointless as well, isn't it? And so here's some things that I think that we could look at as to how we know if we're building with gold, silver, or costly stones, okay? So the first thing is application of the Bible. Do we actually apply what it says in the Bible to our lives, or only the bits that suit us, or do we only communicate the bits that suit us? There's Hume trying to sell me some Wi-Fi. It's just come up on my laptop here. Are you serious? (laughs) Somebody up there pushing buttons? Don't stop laughing. You're in church. You're not allowed to laugh in church. You get thrown out if you laugh twice. (gasps) Okay. Application of the Bible. Look, I'm speaking obvious things here, I would think. Thanks for the amen. Let me give you a shout out. Hold on now. Hold on. New Life Church, Kingsborough. Pastor sitting back there. I enjoyed lunch with you today, sir, and some of the guys around the table with you. Even the really cheeky one who told me that it was good that I brought my grandmother with me. No, no, the other way around, Sorry, my granddaughter, should say that. My wife's sitting at the back. I was actually a Freudian slip there, Wendy. Forgive me. I told you you're not allowed to laugh in church okay how do we apply the bible in our lives first of all we need to know it all right let's just start with that but secondly when we know it do we apply it even the bits that we don't necessarily like i remember somebody saying one time in my church the last person there the last part of a man to get saved is his wallet there's lots of stuff in there about finance you know what i'm saying Do we apply all of what it says in Scripture? Do we? Because that's how you'll know if your motivation when you get up in the morning is, I'm going to apply the Word of God in my life today, there's a good starting point as to whether you're building your life with gold, silver, costly stones or not. Second one, how do you deal with temptation? Now, every last one of us in this room will face temptation. Absolutely, we will face temptation. You're going to face it today, and it's not the obvious one either, by the way, for all the men in the room. Of course, there's the obvious temptation, but it's about all sorts of temptations, and we've already talked about some of that, about gossip, about criticism, about stabbing someone in the back, about giving an opinion that that you really shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? That's all temptation. How do we deal with the temptation that we face? Do we actually take a a step back and do we deal with it the best way that we can? And if we do struggle with it, do we go and get help with it? If we do struggle with it, do we get up, shake ourselves off, say, God, I'm going to try actually so much harder today than I did yesterday? And are we motivated to deal with temptation in the way that we should? Yeah? That's the second thing. Or do we just look at temptation and go, do you know what? I can't be bothered. I don't care. What odds? You know what I'm saying? Yeah? Okay, here's, here's one for you. Your attitude to suffering. And nobody really likes to hear about this kind of thing, because the Bible that I read suggests that actually the way of Christianity or the way of the cross is actually the way of sacrifice, submission, and suffering. Okay, you just have to look at James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of every kind. I have, I've yet to read about anyone in the Bible who didn't have some sort of an issue. I absolutely struggle with listening to some of these people who come on our television channels and tell us, give your life to Jesus Christ and your life's going to be a bed of roses. Hands up in here whose life is a bed of roses. Because if you're not in a trial right now, guess what? You're going to probably face one this week. And guess what? God's behind it. Is that a shock to you? Because he is. God is behind the trials that we face. James chapter 1, verse 2. He is absolutely behind them. He is not behind the temptations that we face, because it also tells that in James chapter 1. But I'm telling you right now that if you want to improve in God, what are you going to deal with? Some suffering, some issues. Here's the thing ask God for faith. And what's he going to do? He's going to give you a situation where you have to exercise some faith. You understand what I'm saying? Lord, help me with my patience. He's going to give me the work co worker from hell. Of course it's right. You seem shocked by that. Yeah? So be careful what you ask for. I'm serious. Because that's how we develop. That's what sanctification is. That's what becoming more like Christ is all about. How do we deal with the suffering that we face? I think Devin read the Beatitudes this morning. Is that right? Was it yourself? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs what is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Why? Because we need to actually deal with the suffering that we face in the way that God intended. We become better, not better. We don't try and shorten it for ourselves because actually God's trying to teach us something. Okay? And so you will know that you're building your life with gold, silver, or costly stones if you recognize what it is that's going on in your life. You accept it for what it is and you listen to see what God is doing. It doesn't matter how difficult that is. And trust me, I know... That it's easy for me, you might say, to stand up here, the guy with the Bible, the guy with the microphone, and say whatever it is that I want. But trust me, I've had my first share of suffering as well. And if you were in this room and you haven't suffered, I actually think you probably need to go back and discover if you're even saved because that's the way of the cross. That actually may be such a hard thing to hear but that's how we develop because God is actually developing you and I for the eternal kingdom that we're going to. And that's actually what these, all these verses are actually about. Because are we going to be rewarded in our eternal kingdom or are we going to suffer some kind of loss? What about, what do you say? Matthew 12, 36, 37, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. We will have to give an account for what we say. And so, Paul also mentions the building products of wood, hay, and straw. Now, we, we know, I certainly know, that if, these, uh, that if we're building our lives with those, they're going to be burnt up in a fire. Yeah? It doesn't take a firefighter to tell you that I'm sure you realize that if you build something with straw or wood or hay and a fire starts it's gone and it's gone very very quickly so Paul is clearly using a really useful metaphor for us to understand hopefully here And some people see this wood, hay, and straw as some kind of a false profession of faith. But I do not see that because remember that Paul has already talked about the foundation. He has already talked about that being Jesus Christ. He is absolutely, in my opinion, talking to the baby church in Corinth who are not yet eating meat, the worldly church. So he is talking to people, part of the church, who are saved, okay? And so this is not about a false profession. And what wood, hay, and straw actually show is a corruptibility. They're capable of decay, rot. They're useless, superficial, worthless compared to gold, silver, and costly stones. And also, wood, hay, and straw are commonplace, and gold, silver, and costly stone, as is rare. Okay? Am I speaking too fast? No, good, because I can get more words in than the time that they've given me. (laughs) That's the plan. Speak really, really fast, and I can tell you twice as much. But guys, think about that sentence. Wood hay straw, commonplace. Gold, silver, costly stones, rare. Now, what do you want to be? I'm serious. I really want you to really think about that. What do you want to be? Do you want to be commonplace in your faith? Now, I could get into talking about the kingdom of heaven here. I could get into talking about the Sermon on the Mount and what all of that means. I don't have time to do that, but I want to ask you that question. Do you want to be building your life with gold, silver, or costly stones, which is a rarity within the church, or do you want to be building it with the commonality, where where carnality actually is prevalent in your life? And that's the challenge tonight. I want to let that hover over you for a second. I want to because we should never treat these things with contempt. Because if you're a believer in here tonight, and let's hope and pray that the majority of people in here are the believers here tonight, plus those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ this morning, we're all believers in here tonight, you're building with something. You're absolutely building with one of these six metaphors. Okay, so you can tell me or not tell me what is it that you're doing? What is it that motivates you when you get out of your bed in the morning? And which of these six is it? or a combination of these six, which is it? Because it's interesting, because after the fire, what is going to remain, if anything, at all? And so verse 12 does not put an nor between gold, silver, and costly stones, or wood, hay, straw. So that actually means to me that this side of heaven is probably impossible for us to build just with the three good ones. Because we're all human at the end of the day, and every one of us will probably have wood, hay, or straw as part of our life, but we need to get up each and every morning and decide that we want to get rid of as much wood, hay, and straw as is absolutely possible. Or do we get up in the morning and say, I don't really care about the gold, silver, and costly stones. Now, you may think it's a very obvious thing for me to say, but I'm telling you right now, there are many people get out of their beds tomorrow morning, and they don't really care how they live as Christians. Yes, they're happy maybe to tell you that they're Christians if you push them hard enough, They may wear that badge, they may well even be saved, but are we going to be absolutely determined to be the serious Christian that we should be? If we were faced with a situation like North Korea has today, or China, or Eritrea, which you heard me talking about this morning, how many of us would be sitting here tonight if there was the opportunity for gunmen to come to those doors right now and kill us? How many of us would actually be here? Challenging thoughts, yeah? because you're starting to get an idea of whether you're building with gold silver costly stones or wood hay and straw if you'd rather be sitting down with your feet up sipping a beer in front of your television watching some sort of an American football game yeah and by the way it's not football because you use your hands use that say we play soccer when it's actually football yeah sorry I'm just getting that off my chest I hate it. It's all right. I understand. Not really. I don't know. American handball. And what's this about? The World Series? The World Series when it's only American teams, come on. Is it the Padres and the the Angels or something, is it? Or the Dodgers? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. That's worse than cricket. (laughs) You know what cricket is, don't you? It's like baseball, only they wear pajamas when they're playing baseball. (laughs) I'm only joking. I've been to see the Angels. Playing the Dodgers. I can't remember who won that night, actually doesn't matter, fell asleep after the first lemons. <laughs> <laughs> is it over yet? I'm sorry, not at the slightest. Okay, come back, not allowed to laugh in church. Verse 13, verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capital D, will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test. Do you understand what I'm saying when I'm saying fire? Yeah, I think there's an Aries twang to that, okay? Uh, It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Your work, my work on the day of judgment will be shown for what it is. Does that not send a shudder down your spine? And it goes on to say, because the day, the capital D, will bring it too late. But what is the day? Because felt, Paul felt no need to explain here what the day, capital D, was. And if you're reading about the day in any of your scriptures and it's a capital D, this is what it is. It's the judgment day. That's why it has a capital D. And he felt no need to explain because there was a universal consensus in the Christian community whenever Paul was talking about that this day was coming. Even the religious believers and the leaders and the zealots and all those guys believed in this day in one form or another. And so if you want to see it in Scripture, Isaiah talks about it, Jeremiah talks about it, Ezekiel, Joel, Jesus, Paul, Peter, and others talk about this judgment day. But this judgment day that we're talking about here, as I've already said, is for the believer. It's for the believer, and don't let I believe anyone tell you if they're teaching you theology suggests that we as Christians will not stand judgment. We don't like to hear that, but we will. We will. Now, it won't be for the sins that has been forgiven us by Jesus dying on the cross, because those are gone. I'm sure you all can... Yeah? Yeah? But we're talking here about what it is that we do with God what it is that we do for God in our lives. How do we live? The things that I suggested earlier on there. And we have to give an account as how we lived as Christians, whether it be good or bad. And we will know then who is saved or not. Yeah, and I've already said there's going to be two locations, so that one's straightforward enough. But we will know who has walked in the light and we will know who will be rewarded for it because guess what? There is going to be complete transparency on that day. And we will all stand there giving an account. Does it break you out in a cold sweat? It absolutely should break you out in a cold sweat. Man's good work will be laid bare, but how will it be judged? How will the makeup of the superstructure be judged? Well, it tells us clearly that it's going to be revealed with fire. Fire? You may think that's a bit of a strange thing, but that's what Paul is clearly saying here. And the fire itself will test the quality of each person's work, each man's work. There is nothing hidden on that day. We will all have to take the masks off. Nobody will be pretentious or self-righteous on that day. Did you know that the core element or the, what sin actually is, is self-righteousness? You know all the stuff that we talk about as sin, e.g., all of the list of stuff that we could go on and on and on, they're only symptoms of a condition called sin. And the condition of sin is actually pride or self-righteousness. You go right back to Genesis chapter 3, the Garden of Eden, and what was it that happened is that whenever the serpent said to Eve, eat of this and you can be like God, that appealed to her. And guess what? Man and woman have been, have been thinking that they've been God ever since, that we know best. Self righteousness. So that is what sin is. And whenever we come before Christ on the cross, that is what is forgiven of us, but we still can be guilty of self righteousness and pride. Guess what? On that day, there's going to be no self righteousness. You're not going to be able to say, But I did this. You're not going to be able to say, But I didn't have time. You're not going to be able to give any of those excuses because we will just have to stand there because God will vindicate. You on that day, if you deserve that vindication, if you've done that now for yourself, then you're going to miss out on that, on that day. Because what we have to do now is we have to turn the other cheek now. If you're lied about now, we need to keep quiet. If you've resisted temptation, you're not self-righteous. If you've sacrificed and served and refused attention for it, it is God who will do the vindication. How easy is it for us to do all of those things that I've just talked about? And we could list and list and list and list. And yes, we're human and very very often we will fall. But what motivates us when we get up in the morning? Psalm 37, 6 says that he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And so the day of testing, by far, will see how obedient you were to God. it will test your claims, it will test your character, and it will test your conduct. And what lasts will determine your reward. And as I've said already today, is that that may not interest you. And I'm just calling a spade a spade here. You may not be interested in that. You might think, do you know what? It only matters to me that I'm saved. It only matters to me that I'm going to make it to heaven. And after that, I don't really care. You might think that's a strong phraseology that I'm using, but I'm telling you there's a reality in what I've just said, yeah? And I'm, I'm going to go back to what I said this morning a little bit is because if that is your attitude, I actually think you might need to go back to actually the point of salvation because chances are you're maybe not even saved if that's what your attitude is, yeah? But you should be interested because I've already said Paul was interested. Jesus was interested. So there must be an importance in this if we're taught this in Scripture. Why should you only be interested in making it to heaven by the skin of your teeth? Last to my check. There's not much skin on my teeth. People think that the, what I'm saying is, is not scripturally correct. By the way, you go back to the book of Job, there is a reference about the skin of your teeth. There is a reference here absolutely clearly in verse 15 that we can get to heaven smelling of smoke. That's what we're going to be looking at in tomorrow morning. Do you want to get the heaven smelling of hell? Now, I might be exaggerating a little bit and I hope that I am, but there must be some sort of a reality in what I'm saying here because your life and mine is going to be tested by fire and it's only going to survive in terms of what we've built it with if we've built it with gold, silver, costly stones. It's important to say And I I want to repeat this because people misunderstand this all the time. Your confessed sin is covered by the blood of the Lamb. You don't have to worry about that. Okay? So whenever we come to God, whenever we ask Him to forgive us for our sins, Jesus, by His death on the cross, has forgiven us as believers of our sin, the condition of sin, past, present, and future. But the model prayer that each of us would pray each and every day, whenever Jesus was teaching us to pray, He tells us clearly that each and every day we need to confess our sin because it's still possible that we're going to sin. Of course it is. And so we have to recognize that, yes, that's covered, but what we do, actually, we're going to have to give an account for. And so the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Notice the word work, and it's not works, which suggests quality rather than quantity. I think what people worry about whenever we talk about this, and I'll be covering this more tomorrow morning, because I'm almost finished tonight. I'll be talking about this more tomorrow morning, as people think, oh, I'm like... I'm 80 years old now, or I'm 70 years old, or I've been saved for 50 years and I haven't been living the way that I should have been living. Listen, what we, how we live today determines our eternity, our life in eternity. And we'll be looking at that in the morning, so It's just never too late. It's never too late. You can be sitting here thinking, well, like, I've been sort of bumbling along in this life for so long now, and it's too late for me. It's never, first of all, too late to be saved, and we talked about that this morning, but it's absolutely never too late to actually get serious about what it is that you represent. Never too late. And don't worry about the people saying, who are you? Who's this that's turned up who has come down from the mountain? When you go into your workplaces tomorrow and somehow you're carrying some sort of a different persona, don't be worried about the people whenever they throw everything at you. Oh, you've got holy over the weekend or something. Forget about what people say because trust me, if you go down the mountain with a different attitude, you probably will have a difficult day tomorrow. That's a given. All right, so let's park that and just think, do you know what? I want to get absolutely serious right now. It doesn't matter how long I've been saved. It doesn't matter what age I am now. It doesn't matter if I'm the youngest person in this room or the oldest person in this room. What matters is, am I going to live for God tomorrow or today or the next day? And am I going to get up each and every morning and say, I am absolutely determined to live my life building with gold, silver, and costly stones today. It doesn't matter what that looks like for me doesn't matter if I have to make decisions that that I don't like because we have to be absolutely serious about our faith. And are we going to be in the majority or the minority? Because I absolutely believe that the minority of Christians actually get this. That might sound a bit arrogant, but that's what I believe. And I'm not going to point the finger at other people. I'm just saying, in my experience, that's how I see it. Yeah? I worked in fire stations for 27 years I worked with other guys that were Christian and sometimes I looked at them and thought I don't know the difference between you and this person who obviously isn't and I'm not saying that I was purely innocent all of the time but I'm just saying right now that it's so easy to get stuck into some things that we shouldn't get stuck into but that doesn't mean that we've blown it on Friday so we have to live like that on Monday so we need to be determined today and say do you know what there's maybe something in what this big lad's saying. Maybe the Apostle Paul got it right somehow. And maybe I just need to go down this mountain and be absolutely serious about my faith. Yes. Because I absolutely, absolutely believe that if we can be absolutely serious about our faith, your world will be turned upside down. There was a man said, young English preacher actually said it, but it was D.L. Moody who claimed the statement. There you go again. The Americans claiming what we do. Dale Moody from Chicago, you know who he is? Young English pastor said this. He claimed it, made a face. It doesn't matter. I'm talking around in circles now. Let me tell you what he said. This world has yet to see one man completely sold out for God. Please, Lord, let that be me. Yeah? This world has yet to see one man sold out for God. Please, Lord, let that man be me. Can we say that? Can we say it? I'm not going to ask you to say it after me, but I'm going to say it. This world has yet to see one man sold out for God. Please, God, let that be me. And see, whenever we leave this mountain, please, God, let that be me. One person wants to do that. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Let's be serious. So if if it is the fire that tests the quality of work, what about the fiery trials that you face now? Do you know what? I'm going to go through that very, very quickly because I want to pray. I've already said, James 1-2, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The truth is that you can gauge your spiritual progress when you face a trial. I've already said that. Proverbs twenty four ten and then I want to pray. Do you know what Proverbs twenty four ten says? If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Yeah. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to what I've said tonight. And I know we've had a bit of fun as well. And I want you to ignore any of the flesh that has come from me tonight. Let's just, if the word of God has landed on your heart tonight, that's what this is about. Yeah. And I know it is so easy for me to make, and I hate making appeals. Okay. Appeal. I don't know if that's the term that you use over here, But it frustrates me, particularly at conferences, I don't particularly like conferences, confession to the guys, okay? Now, I have no issue because that's actually what I am. But I think if the church had actually got itself sorted out, we wouldn't need conferences. But the fact is that we do, and it's good, and it's good to be here, and I'm glad to be here. I'm not saying anything there. But what what frustrates me sometimes is that people so easily can make a commitment here tonight, and by Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, we've slipped back into our old ways. And guess what happens next October when we come back up the mountain again? Yeah? Come on. I'm, what I'm saying is right. I used to go to conferences and the same people get saved every year. You might laugh at that, but it's actually true. And so it's so easy for me to ask you to make a commitment tonight. And you're expected to do that. And you're with the men of your church. And you're with your pastor. And you think, oh, that big fella's told me I should do this, so I should do it. No. What has God said to your heart tonight? And so it would be so easy for me to say, could we all do better? Because of course, every last one of us could do better. Would you accept that? But here's what I want to do. I want to make a real challenge to you here tonight. We talked a little bit about it in the green room before we come out. I'm going to pray for everybody in a minute or two because I think we all need prayer, yeah? But here's the thing, here's the challenge in this group. And we had eight or 10 guys this morning who put their hands up to give their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time, fantastic. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to that as well tonight because I don't want you missing out on that opportunity. But if you're here tonight and God has really tugged your heart from what I've said, yeah, and I mean, we all feel, okay? So let's put this into a context. We all will feel But when we fail, hopefully we all can get to that point where we can dust ourselves off and say, no, God, I'm going to be serious about you. But I'm telling you right now, if God has absolutely tugged your heart with what I've said, whether you're in this audience, whether you're in the band, whether you're sitting up there at the back, whether you're staff here, it doesn't matter who you are. If God has tugged you with what I've said here tonight, I want you to stand right now. And only if God has tugged you, not because I want you to stand, it doesn't matter to me if you stand, yeah? And that's why I don't like appeals because it's very often people stand because who's the right. You understand what I'm saying? So if God has tugged your heart, you've stood. Anybody else? Go ahead, stand, because I'm going to pray and then what I'm going to get is the people around you to pray for you, all right? Is that okay? Whilst the guys are doing some worship. Does anybody else want to stand? And again, not because I keep asking the question, all right? I want, to straight, I want to make this as hard for you as possible, okay? I really do because I, I get frustrated by the fact that people just stand because I've asked them. Yeah? I've got seven children at home and I'd love them to answer me and do stuff for me straight away, but they don't. I don't want you all to pretend you're my children tonight. All right? Okay. Being serious. Let's go for it one more time. If God has tugged your heart from what I have spoken to you about tonight, stand now. Okay. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Just keep standing, guys. And then I'm going to, as the guys lead some worship, I'm going to get the people around you who have come with you just to pray with you, pray with each other, and you can also stand at that point, chat to each other about maybe why it is that you're standing. Is that okay? But see, before I do that, Did anybody want to get saved this morning who didn't put their hand up? And I'm just going to look around the room one more time. Not going to prolong this because hopefully everybody did that this morning who's not yet saved. But I'm looking to my left. Anybody want to give their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time? I'm looking at this block right here. Just make sure, wave your hands or something or dance about so I can see you. There's one person there. Thank you, sir. Anybody else in the room? On this side, i come on over here in a minute. Anybody on the side that I'm standing on? Dance about. I don't want to miss it. No one else here on this side? By the way, if I miss you, just tell the guys around you so they can pray for you. It doesn't matter if I pray for you or not. God sees what you've just done. Anybody else on this side? Anybody want to give their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time? Or your, or your, your life is... So dull that you've forgotten what it feels like to be a Christian. Anybody on this side that I'm looking at? No? Okay. I don't see anybody up there, just the staff. Okay. It's been a good night in the house of God, hasn't it? Now, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. Can someone pray for that? The, The guy who gave his life to Jesus tonight, can somebody do that as well? Thank you just by doing what you've done, you've given your life to Jesus anyway. Let's give that another round of applause actually. (laughs) Hallelujah. We complicate coming to Jesus as well. You know, we're really good at making things complicated in church. But the Bible says clearly that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you and he rose again from the dead, you believe that and confess it, you're saved. That's what the Bible says. So let me pray for all you guys that have stood. And I, in fact, I'm going to pray for everybody. I promised you that, didn't I? Yeah. And then I want, as the guys lead some worship, find somebody and pray for them. I don't want anybody without someone praying for them. Can you do that for me, please? Yeah? Even if, the, even if two guys are standing and you pray for each other. Is that okay? All right, Heavenly Father, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you. Lord, we love everything that we know about you. We love your word. We love what you reveal to us. And Lord, we love, absolutely love the challenge of the Word of God to our hearts and lives. And so Lord, I just thank you for the challenge of your Word to me every day that I read it. And Lord, these guys might look at me and think I've got it all sussed. And Lord, I confess to you that I don't and that I need your help each and every day as well. And Lord, I ask myself the question every day, who am I to tell anybody how to live their lives? And so Lord, just as we come before you humbly, Lord, I just pray for each of these guys that are standing right now and for those that aren't, Lord, whatever it is that you have challenged us in our hearts about tonight, Lord, that you would absolutely help us with whatever that is. And Lord, that we would absolutely be determined to go down that mountain, different people than what we came up. And so, Lord, each and every one of us, I'm praying for everybody now, each and every one of us need more of you. Lord, in this day and age that we live and life is not going to get any easier, Lord, we need you in everything that we do. And so, Lord, fill us to overflowing with your presence, Lord. Send revival to this world that we live in. Lord, give us every opportunity each and every day to love you, to love others, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.